just before Dr. R.T. Kendall comes to minister to us, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. But now faith, hope, love. Abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's welcome Dr. R.T. Kendall. Faith is believing God. Hope is expecting God. Love is experiencing God. So there remains these three, faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received, applied as you intend. And cleanse my tongue that I might be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. I ask that this will be a life-changing word, and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A few years ago, uh, my wife Louise and our children, T.R. and Melissa, were in Holland, went to Harlem, Holland. And there I had a very high privilege I got to meet Corey Ten Boom. She's the lady, Dutch lady that helped with her family to protect Jews and hid them uh, from the Nazis in World War II. Uh, 
It was a great honor to be with her. And while I was with her, I asked her a question. And this is back in 1974 when this happened. I said, Corey, someone told me you're a charismatic. Is that true? And this is in the days when the charismatic movement was just barely getting known. Her reply, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, but don't forget 1 Corinthians 13. That was her reply. Well, Paul says the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, love. Love is the greatest. I ask, why? Why is this? Now, I can tell you this. Love means to forfeit vengeance. You give up getting even with anybody. Could it be there's someone here? You are living for the day when your enemy is found out and punished, and you live for that moment. Love is to forfeit vengeance. And love means that you let God vindicate you in his time. Love is to choose the honor that comes from God and forfeit the honor that comes from people. So if you're among those who only want approval, you want people's applause, but you don't want the honor that comes from God alone, you need to know that love makes the choice that you want the honor that comes from God alone. Love is totally forgiving those who have hurt you and those who have wanted to destroy you. And so when you forgive them, you come to the place that you even pray for them. When Jesus said, pray for your enemies, he did not mean that you bow your head and say, Heavenly Father, I just commit them to you. Because you're hoping God will kill them. <laughs> no, it means to pray for them and ask God to bless them. Now, why does Paul say the greatest of these is love? Well, I can tell you, this that I'm talking about today is within reach of every one of us because it's an act of the will. You choose to love. This is not for the spiritual elite. This is for anybody. And so, don't wait for God to knock you down. It's a choice, an act of the will. You choose to love, and the result is to experience God because God is love. Now, this is the way you come into your inheritance. Now, you've heard me preach. Every Christian is called to come into his or her inheritance. Some do, some don't. And you may recall that you have an external inheritance, you have an internal inheritance. Your external is your calling in life, what you do. Internal is your walk with the Lord. And love, this pursuit of love, choosing love, is your internal inheritance. Believe me, choose this. And the external inheritance will take care of itself. Now, there are three Greek words that translate into English love. 
One is eros, physical love. It's the kind of love that makes a man and a woman want to get married. Martin Luther said, God uses sex to drive a man to marriage, ambition to drive a man to service, fear to drive a man to faith. Well, we're here on this day, and I think being Mother's Day, I've been asking, is there a Greek word that would explain a mother's love? It could be agape, that's the word in 1 Corinthians 13, which is a, an unselfish love. There's philia, that's a love for a brother, brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. But I think what a, a mother's love, there's no word to describe it. Some of you are mothers. All of you have or had mothers. My mother died uh, when I was only 17 years old. and That's 63 years ago. And I have to tell you, I've never got over it. When I think of my mother's love, she was the one that would intercede for me. My father was a strict disciplinarian. And I remember something, I wanted something so much. And my dad said, no. And my f mother would say, oh, come on, let him have it. And he would do it. A mother's love. Well, now, 1 Corinthians 13 uses this word agape love. And Paul introduces it in the light of the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, you may recall, in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, he talks about nine gifts of the Spirit. There's the gift of wisdom. There's the gift of knowledge. There's the gift of faith. Uh, there's gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking different kinds of tongues, and so forth. And so Paul at the end says, I will show you the most excellent way. This is what Corey Ten Boom meant. Don't forget 1 Corinthians 13. And he starts out referring to the tongues of men and of angels. Tongues of men... Well, that would probably be various languages. There are those who have a gift in linguistics. They can speak several languages. But then he talks about the tongues of men and of angels. Some believe that the gift of praying in an angelic language where you actually converse with God as the angels would. But Paul said, if I have the gift of tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And then he mentions the gift of prophecy. He said, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, he says, and if I have this, he said, I am nothing if you don't have love with it. And then it's very interesting, he brings up faith. Did you notice that I just read that one of the gifts of the Spirit is faith? I've always thought that was a bit odd. What does he mean? Well, it's not talking about saving faith, because we are saved when we trust the blood of Jesus. 
for our salvation, not our good works. Saving faith is what gets you to heaven. Uh, well, this also is, is what we call persistent faith. That's not what this is. Persistent faith. After you become a Christian, you persevere. You don't give up. That's not what he means when he talks about there being a gift of faith. This gift of faith is an instantaneous grace in a desperate situation when you suddenly have extraordinary faith in a moment. In fact, in verse 3, Paul shows an example of this extraordinary kind of faith. He said, if I possess, if I give all I possess to the poor. Imagine that. All that you have and you give it to the poor. What he's talking about is there have been times when people were given so much faith that they actually are detached from their own material possessions. This happened in the earliest church. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, he said, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything. They just didn't want what they had. They would give it away. And that, that was an unusual moment. didn't last, but it was real then. And what Paul is saying, that even if you give all that you possess to the poor, you could do that without faith. Imagine that. Uh, sorry, without, you can do it without love. You have faith to do that, but you can do it without love. And he goes on to say, if I surrender my body to the flames, you think, surely that's as high as you get. He says, you can do that. You can have that kind of faith, and you would just surrender to martyrdom. He says, you can do that without love. And so what he says is, if you do these things without love, he says, you are nothing. He said, I am nothing. And not only that, he says, if I don't have love, I gain nothing. Gain nothing. What is it you might want to gain? Well, I just mentioned, you want to come into your inheritance. You wonder, what does God want you to do in life? Is there anyone here you feel that life is just passing you by? And what you wanted, it's not going to happen. Well, I can tell you, if you choose to live the way Paul is putting it here, you choose love, you will fulfill God's purpose for you. Life will not pass you by. You gain nothing if you've got all these other things. Faith, prophecy, surrender your body to the flames. You gain nothing. But if you have love, you will come into your inheritance and know God's purpose for your life. Now, what Paul does at this stage in 1 Corinthians 13, he shows what love is, what love does, what it isn't, what it doesn't do. For example, what love is and what it is not. He says it is patient. Love is patient. How does that make you feel? Does that describe you? Are you a patient person? He said love is 
kind. What's that? Well, it's being nice. There are people that are just nice. Or there are those who are nasty. That everything that comes out of the mouth is negative and it's poisonous. But love is kind. What it isn't, Paul said, it's not rude. It is not self-seeking. In other words, when you are motivated by love, you won't be pulling strings to make this happen or that happen. You let God let things happen. And it takes so much pressure off of us when we're always trying to make something happen. You perhaps know the story of Joseph. He was one of 12 sons of Jacob. He was Jacob's favorite son. And uh, Jacob was not a good dad. And uh, he showed preference to Joseph and made the other brothers jealous. And the brothers decided to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. And then the Ishmaelites sold Joseph to Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. And after some time, Potiphar's wife began to flirt with Joseph. And he ran from her, but she accused him of trying to rape her. And the next thing you know, that Joseph is in prison. And then there are two other prisoners there. They have dreams, and Joseph prophesies to them because he can interpret dreams. And he interprets their dreams perfectly. And he says to one of them, in three days, you're going to get your job back. You will be with the king Pharaoh. And when you get your job back, he says to this man, remember me, remember me to the king. Tell them about me. I don't deserve to be here. In other words, this was Joseph being self-seeking. He was trying to make something happen. I think that was the moment when God looked down from heaven and said, Joseph, I'm so sorry you said that. You're going to need a couple more years here. And maybe you have tried so hard to make things happen. Here's my suggestion. Choose to love. Love is not self-seeking. And there will be no need to make things happen like this. And so it was during this time that Joseph actually forgave his brothers. And uh, God looked down from heaven one day and saw that in Joseph's heart, he had actually forgiven those brothers who had done this terrible thing to him. And God looked down and said, Joseph, I think you're ready now. You can be trusted. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, the worst thing that can happen to a man is to succeed before he's ready. Maybe you're wanting to succeed. Could I be talking to someone here? You wonder, why can't I succeed? Why cannot I achieve my goal? Why can't I get that better job? Why I don't get this financial help I need? And you are always wanting it. Has it crossed your mind that God has just kept you where you are, trying to teach you a lesson? 
the worst thing that can happen to you is to get what you want. The worst thing that can happen to a man is to succeed before he's ready. And when you are governed by love, you're ready. You can be trusted. Says Paul, love is not easily angered. He doesn't say that it keeps you from anger. But he says that when you walk in love, you're less likely to lose your temper. So he proceeds to tell us what it doesn't do. He said it's not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Doesn't delight in evil. But it's interesting that he says love does not boast. And it's not a person, it doesn't motivate a person to be envious. If you have a problem with jealousy, you need to know that God didn't produce that in you. Uh, when you feel jealousy, mark it down. That didn't come from God. When you hear somebody's name and you go, Ugh, that didn't come from God. And love doesn't boast. Uh, when you're wanting to brag on yourself and brag on your accomplishments, uh, mark it down. That urge did not come from God. When I'm trying to impress you with how much knowledge I have or who I know, uh, this invitation I got, or this phone call I got, and I would only just drop it just to make you a little bit jealous. Actually, I'm, I, I'm asking myself now, do, do I tell you about a phone call I got yesterday afternoon? Three, three o'clock. I'll never forget the time. A very important person called me. Should I tell you who it was? Oh. Well, I've started. Okay. <laughs> Forgive me, but Billy Graham phoned me yesterday afternoon at, four, at 3 o'clock. Billy Graham. And he said, RT, sorry to trouble you, but I've just been a call, uh, received a phone call from Her Majesty the Queen. And I was ill, and I got off my sick bed to take her call. And she says, Billy, I just heard that R.T. Kendall has been in London for over a month, and he hasn't phoned me. He hasn't got in touch. And I thought maybe you could find out if I've offended him in any way. Now, if you believe that, you've got problems. <laughs> I told that in the 9 o'clock service, and there were people that came up to me and said, there were those around me that believed it. <laughs> For you that believed it, Billy didn't phone me yesterday <laughs> or the day before. 
says Paul, love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, why do we keep a record? Why do you keep records? Well, to prove that you've paid. Why would you keep a record of wrong? Well, it's your security so that you can throw it up to the person. Husband says to the wife, I will remember that. <laughs> so he's, he, he's got it down. And two days later, sure enough, he calls it to her attention. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Maybe some of you, you've got a sheet of paper with a long list. And on this list are those people who've hurt you and what they've done. Do you want the best advice I could possibly give you? Tear it up. Burn it. And it doesn't exist. The reason that Joseph could be exalted to be prime minister of Egypt is because while he was in the dungeon, he made a decision to tear up the record of wrongs. So when the day came that he was exalted to be prime minister and his brothers come and they don't know who he is because he's wearing Egyptian garb and he's speaking through an interpreter, but he knows who they are. And he shows how much he's forgiven them, so much so that he won't tell anybody what they did to him. He wants to make sure nobody in Egypt will ever find out what those brothers had done to their prime minister years before. The proof of love, you don't tell anybody what they did to you. You tell one person for therapeutic reasons. And if it's a crime, you need to report that. But why, why would you tell what they did? Well, it's because you want to see them punished. You don't want anybody to admire them. And so if you find that the person who's hurt you and people admire them, you want to make sure you let me tell you about that person. You put them down. When you have totally forgiven, and when you act in love, you keep no record of wrongs, and you tell nobody what they did. You can tell God, by the way. He can cope with it. Psalm 142, verse 2, pour out your complaint to the Lord. Perhaps you know about the old spiritual that came out of the deep south in the 19th century. Those black slaves in the cotton fields of Alabama, what they went through. They came up with that old spiritual, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. You see, that's the way God likes it. But he's the only one you tell. When you tell the whole world and then tell him, that's not the same thing. Love keeps no record of wrongs. In the case of Joseph, he made sure nobody would know what they did. 
He put them at ease. When they found out who he was, they were scared to death. And he just said to them, come close to me. He wanted to love on them. And he said, don't be angry with yourselves. That's the way you are when you've totally forgiven. Or do you say to somebody, well, I forgive you for what you've done, but I hope you feel bad about it. Do you know why you want them to feel bad about it? You want to make sure they know how hurt you are. You see, this is what gets our goat. That they don't know what they've done, and we want, to, we want them to know. Oh, a little tip here for you. When the service is over, uh, don't go across the room and say to somebody, well, now, in the light of R.T.'s sermon, I forgive you. <laughs> and they will say, for what? Where you know what? Well, no, I don't, actually. Well, you do. Well, I don't. Well, you should. Well, I'm sorry I don't. Now you've got to fight, which is what you wanted. You see, you can't bear the thought that they don't know how hurt you are. But Jesus knows. Pour out your complaint to the Lord. And imagine Jesus on the cross when they were shouting at him, Hey, Son of God, come down from the cross so we can see and believe. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. They don't know. You know what? It takes far more grace to forgive them when they're not sorry or they don't know what they've done than if they say sorry. It's pretty easy to forgive them when they say sorry. And if you're waiting for them to say sorry, you're going to go to your death in bitterness. Don't even count on it. Don't wait for them to be sorry. Get the highest level of victory. Forgive them when they're not sorry. That's the time to do it. That's the way God is with us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so this matter of walking in love, you don't just do it for a day. You say, well, you know, I've never done this before, but I'll try it for a day. Or maybe a week. Bad mistake. It's a life sentence. This is the way you're going to be the rest of your life. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And so we tear up the record of wrongs. That means we stop pointing the finger. Is anyone here today, your marriage is in trouble? Your marriage is on the rocks? Your marriage could be healed by sundown today if both of you will stop pointing the finger. You say, well, I will if he does. I will if she does. Stop it. You do it. Doesn't matter what they do. Get the victory. Not because the other one does it right. Now it's easy. No. Here's the way to get the victory. When you're living under this kind of terror, and they're cruel, and they're hateful, then is the time to let them off the hook and ask God to bless them. You say, well, R.T., I just don't think I could ever do that. Here's the point I'm trying to make today. This agape love, it's, an, it's a choice 
It's right there. It's, I'm handing it to you. You don't have to be a Moses or Elijah. It's an act of the will. You can go from here today never to be the same again. And let it be a life commitment for you. Well, now, Paul returns to the comparison between gifts of the Spirit and love. He says, love never fails. Well, let's explain what it means and what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is that you will always win the argument. You may lose. It doesn't mean you're going to convert those who persecute you. Stephen showed love, and he was martyred. What it means is you will accomplish God's purpose in your life. That's what matters. When you come to the end and you can say, I've done what God wanted me to do. It doesn't matter whether you become a Billy Graham invited to see the queen, have high profile. I've done what God told me to do. And the way forward, you can be a nobody and be a hero before the angels because you choose to walk in love. You won't convert a Muslim by argument. The best way to win a Muslim is to show this love. They're not used to that. It's not in the Koran. It's alien to them. When you show love and they see it in your eyes, did you ever hear this poem? "'Twas not the truth you taught to you so clear, to me so dim. But when you came to me, you brought a sense of him. Yes, from your eyes he beckoned me. From your heart his love was shed, and I lost sight of you and saw Christ instead." Well, Paul says that love transcends all the gifts. And he also says that gifts may be employed temporarily. For example, prophecies have their limit. He said, whether there are prophecies, they will cease. And what he means is a subtle, profound point. God will give a prophetic word. And the trouble with people who get prophetic words They don't just stay with that word. They want to embellish it, and that's where they get in trouble. And the trouble also, if somebody gives you a prophecy, you'll be insatiable. You'll say, well, tell me what that means. What else? What can I do now? No. Don't lean on that. That's not the way forward. Or praying in tongues. Although you're guaranteed to be praying in the will of God, doesn't always guarantee victory. And when it comes to knowledge, you have the gift of knowledge. doesn't always persuade people. Our knowledge is limited. He says we know in part. Our prophetic gift is limited. We prophesy in part. Only love is perfect. And when perfection comes, that perfect love which drives out fear, the gifts which have their limits fade into the background because all the gifts are imperfect. Every one of them. But love, and he means perfect love. John says it casts out fear. 
And he says, fear has to do with punishment. You see, when you walk in love, there's no need to try to punish somebody. When you walk in love, you don't feel that you're always going to get punished or you deserve punishment all the time. When you walk in love, perfect love casts out fear. You won't be trying to punish a person by pointing the finger. And this is the wonderful thing. As I said, knowledge doesn't always persuade people. But perfect love drives out fear. And then he says something interesting. When I was a child, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. It's hard to know exactly what he means. He may be referring to a babe in Christ who's still needing milk all the time, even though they're old. Or he could be referring to the gifts of the Spirit without love, which we know is so possible. Never forget this. You can have any one of the gifts of the Spirit and not have this. Any one of them. You know, the trouble with the Corinthians, they thought tongues is everything. <laughs> you can pray in tongues and not have this love. Don't call yourself spiritual because you pray in tongues. They'll cease. They will always be there and make you have a self-righteous feeling. He said, but when I became a man, mature, grown up, living by love, keeping no record of wrongs, I put childish ways behind me. Notice this is an act of the will. I put them behind me. You choose. You choose not to tell people what they did. You choose not to point the finger. You choose to keep no record of wrongs. And so, holding grudges, pointing the finger, vindicating ourselves, this is when the flesh takes over. Love won't do that. And yet, I say it again, it's in reach of all of us. Anyone here can have this. Well, Paul now admits that even if we walk in love, we don't know everything. He says, at best we see a poor reflection, as in a mirror. That means you won't always have perfect objectivity about yourself. And as I've been saying, like it or not, you won't know everything. But, says Paul, one day we shall see our Lord Jesus face to face. Then we will get our questions answered. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What I now know is limited in part, but one day I shall know all I need to know. As I am fully known by God, so one day I will know fully, not as a poor reflection, but to see clearly as we will see Jesus face to face. And it brings us to the end. Now these things remain. Faith. Believing God. Hope. Expecting God. Love. Experiencing God. It doesn't get better than that. And it's all at our fingertips. You can choose to say yes or to say, no, don't expect God to knock you down. 
but you can choose to do it. It's a choice. 